You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. He says, I feel like Herbert pulled a bit more from his symbolic grab bag of symbolism this time around. <laughs> Paul's blindness. <laughs> I like it. Symbolic <laughs> grab bag. Yes. Wow. Of symbolism. Of symbolism. <laughs> Welcome to the Legendarium. This is the blue team coming at you live. Well, not for your benefit, but for our benefit, we're all here live. I'm alive today. Today we have us all here in the studio. This is episode 221 and the second of our Dune Messiah series. Um, I I don't know about all of you, but I have been looking forward to this one because this is going to be driven a little bit more by some of your comments and your questions, more so than any of our opinions. And if you believe that, you haven't been listening for very long. First, let's go ahead and introduce the panel that we've got here with us today. She is prettier than a Bene Gesserit reverend mother and twice as conniving and sneaky. And that's saying something. She's Megan Smythe. (laughs) (laughs) And he is not to be trusted with sharp objects in the room, which is saying something today. He is Ken Johnson. At least I can't burn out my own eyes. Wow. That's just... Wait, I could. Maybe you could. You could. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a real boy. And... And, You're alive! <laughs> and he uh, is visiting us from Maine, and we're still trying to figure out how we became how we became part of his vacation. Um, he is Alex LeBlanc, our official fan ambassador. Congratulations! Welcome to the Legendarium. Ah, uh, hey guys, thank you very much. <laughs> you should have heard what he said earlier. It was far more eloquent and uh, much more. Um, that was a mic test. It's inadmissible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it was much more brown nosy, but we all know what brown nosing really is all about, right? We'll just keep that in the can for so, future reference. As we were talking about that this morning, and <laughs> and we we are very grateful. Alex decided to forego a day of skiing to be with us. I'm still trying to figure out exactly how that rates. I mean, is it because the skiing is so bad today that he figured, well, I, my, my life is bad enough, I may as well go to these guys, or is it because? He's like checking things off his list because he has terminal cancer and he's like, I need to see the legendarium guys improve that they're alive. I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you to confirm or deny, but I just, I'm, this is the thoughts going on in my head. So well, it, it is a Saturday and there's, uh, we haven't had a good snow in like a week. So I can see him wanting to stay away from the crowds. First off, Canyon Road was impassable. <laughs> <laughs> so we were an easier drive than was the ski resort. Okay. So that, what you're saying is as a last resort. That sounds, that's, a, oh, uh, that wasn't even meant to. Be a, <laughs> <laughs> well, we are certainly glad to have you here. We've been having a lot of fun uh, for the last hour or so. We've been having pizza and chatting and getting to know, uh, getting to know Alex. He's been getting to find out that in fact, we are actually human beings uh, and well, that we, that we uh, we're still we're trying to determine if Ken beings? is a real boy. Uh, the God Emperor in the corner begs to differ. Wilf, <laughs> did you just call him the God Emperor in the corner? Okay, eh, no, right. no. Am I still the princess he, consort? He is okay. definitely the no. Put that thumb down. You are the Benetilexu face dancer in the corner. That's what you are. Um, I do want to mention you're the uh, guild navigator in the corner. We uh, we talked earlier. I mentioned earlier that Ken is not to be trusted with sharp objects, which today is especially appropriate. Because we got one. The reason that uh, <laughs> that we mentioned that today is because we have received in the mail our official Stabby Award from uh, from Reddit. And from the R Fantasy from the, subreddit. From the R Fantasy subreddit, it says, uh, Best R Fantasy Stabby Award, Best 2018 Related Work, 
the Legendarium podcast. So we are very grateful for that. We're trying to keep Ken away from it. Um, and Craig, every time he grabs it, he says, now I shall give you a name and I shall call you Sting. Um, I'm a little concerned about that, but not as concerned as I am about Craig or about Ken touching it and trying to find out if it really works. So Ken... No That's stabbing people. Yeah, no stabbing people. <laughs> you guys all have dirty minds. All right, we know. <laughs> before yep. we dive into, um, before we dive into, uh, as, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say I didn't finish my thought. Thank you, all of our listeners, for for your support of us. That Stabby Award we receive, but we receive it because all of you have appreciated what we've done. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to listen, for taking the time to to engage with us. And, and to really make this a, a joyful community, we, we have a lot of fun and it's all thanks to you guys. And it uh, the, seems like in the last week, we've really gotten a lot of uh, love. Yeah, we have. Appreciation. We have. And thank you so much. Outlets, so I appreciate you guys. It's, it, otherwise, it would just be the, you know, the group of us staring at each other in somebody's basement, kind of awkwardly talking about stuff when nobody was listening. So a regular book club? <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. <laughs> it's a book club with microphones. But you guys have windows. You know. <laughs> yes, we do. I know. But, it's really nice, but, isn't it? But they used space. to be much smaller. Um because they would only let us out so often. Hey, you know what? You guys, uh, you probably noticed we've skipped most of our regular housekeeping, but if you've been with us for very long, you know all those pieces. Uh, engage with us on on uh, Reddit or through Twitter. You can find us on Patreon. We'd love for you to continue to, to support us on Patreon. That's part of what helps us continue to make the quality of these podcasts better and better all the time. It's also what allows us to start exploring the opportunity to go out and meet you um, and we're we're looking at some options for doing that. I don't know how much has been said, yeah. but right, Ken, aren't you going to Jordan Con? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can neither p- confirm nor deny that yes, in fact, I will be at Jordan Con. Uh, we're we're trying to make sure that Ken <laughs> spends at least as much time at Jordan Con as he does at any of the baseball games that might be in the area. But the, that's a different story. The Braves are in town that weekend. Oh my goodness, Ken. <laughs> we'll 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 talk well, about and, your expense report and, later. And we need to keep Ryan away from the soccer pitch because uh, Atlanta that's United true. is in town. That's true, <laughs> and that's going to be a tough one. Luckily, there's enough going on that everybody can be happy. That's right. Um, before we get too much into Dune Messiah, I warned Alex that we were going to do a, we were going to have a little bit of fun with him first. So this is going to be one of those either or kinds of questions series. Okay, it's going to be short. It's not going to be terribly taxing. But please remember the rules for these either ors. You have to answer quickly. It has to be the first answer that comes into your head. And if you overanalyze, we will pick for you and find a way to make it as embarrassing as possible. Gotcha. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Doctor Who or Star Trek? Doctor Who. Tolkien or Sanderson? Sanderson. R2-D2 or BB-8? R2-D2. Lightsaber versus Han Solo's blaster? Lightsaber. Urban fantasy versus sci-fi? Sci-fi. And of all the series that we've done on the... Uh, on the Legendarium, which has been your favorite? Stormlight Archive, for okay. sure. Okay. And, <laughs> you know, and it seems to be that that's pretty consistent. Everybody else is like, yeah, I like some of the stuff you do. You know, it's pretty nice. But man, the Sanderson stuff, especially the Stormlight Archive, man, that's great stuff. So we kind of expect that. <laughs> it's a cut above. Why does that, why does that guy sound like he's from Minnesota? my favorite. <laughs> right? Yeah. Wonderful stuff. I, I know that... Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't even talk about him without. <laughs> it's still very raw. Um, I uh, I talked with a I was talking with a friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago about Oathbringer uh, and about some pieces that were going on in that, and I was like, so all of this is, and he's like, but why does all of that? Why is this such a big deal? I'm like, 
Okay, you have to read the other ones first. <laughs> then we can have a chat. Well, I and I, I spent some time with a friend Thursday night. I invited her to come out with me last minute to a play. And she was like, so it's it's between either going to the play with you or finishing the last 200 pages of, oh my gosh, what's the second one in the Stormlight Archive? Words, Words of Radiance. Radiance. She's like, I have 200 pages left. And I was like, oh, if you want to stay home, I would understand. And she came out with me, but I was like, ah. Oh, Sometimes those wrong. are the that's ones where friend. he's like, right? that's a good friend. Actually, you know, you could have probably said, tell you what, we'll stay home. I'll bring pizza and just watch you. Right? As you go through the last pages. I would have done that pages. too. I, was like, I think I have it on tape if you want to listen I, to it. She goes, no, 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 we can talk. I okay. absolutely canceled plans with a friend to stay home and read the last bit of words of reading. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I want so to sit there and watch as I your can mind remember literally that explodes. Night. I can remember <laughs> that night like three or four years ago. Yeah. I stayed no spoilers, don't worry. But yeah. In my living room and I just finished the last 200 pages of that and I did not go out with my friends. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think we've all been there. I know that um, I, I finished... Uh, I finished Oathbringer because, of course, I listened to them all. And when I finished Oathbringer, I was in my car on my way to my daughter's Christmas recital, uh, her her Christmas dance recital. And I had to stay in the car to compose myself for an extra five minutes because I was so just just emotionally wrung out. Um, And my and I got in and my wife was like, are you okay?" I just finished another Sanderson book. Never mind. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I love you as you are. <laughs> so anyway. So let's... was the Stormlight Archive influenced or inspired by Dune? That's my is question. That one, is that a question? Is that a legit Reddit a, question or is that one of yours? That's one of my questions. And also it's a brilliant transition. You know, thank you. I was about to do the same. <laughs> it's less thank brilliant you. when you point it out, but that's I, uh, cool. I have to say it absolutely was. <laughs> yeah, but it, but if you're looking for uh, something that had to be inspired by Dune, well, you have to look at White Sand. Yeah, That's absolutely. <laughs> White Sand would probably be White Sand. Yeah. Would pro- of course, you know, since we're on a uh, on a on a nickname basis with B Sand, maybe we can call him up and ask. Um, <laughs> but I I, I don't know. Like I have that. I don't know that that's been asked. That, I don't know have a I don't have that re- reference. This actually was a legitimate question. Is is uh, things that have been inspired by Frank Herbert? Yeah, and by Frank Herbert's works and. So I wondered if that was one of them. I mean, Roshar obviously is is a deserty type planet. Sure, it's, it's a barren. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. really desert. White sand, like you said, is definitely the one that. Yep. And would I would be think them. I would think Tatooine has to have been influenced at some point by that. Star Wars is heavily influenced by Dune. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, but then, of course, the the real question becomes: What things can we? What other what other places can we see that? I mean, those are obvious ones. Are there any other places that you can think of that you would say to yourself, hmm, based on what I've read of Dune so far, are there other ones that you can think of? Wasn't there, I'm trying to think back and I should have had this in my notes about um, some influences uh, from Dune in the Song of Ice and Fire. I don't remember if George R. R. Martin, Martin pulled I I could definitely see yeah. that in, in, that whole... in both uh, Dorne and the Dothraki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because they, they have their sea of grass, which is, they're a unique subculture of the continent, which has evolved cultures and traditions and a way of life that allows them to survive in this pretty inhospitable, uh, barren wasteland. Is that, is that just a typical, a a typical, uh, thing in fantasy is, is the people who have managed to carve out an existence in a inhospitable climate? So that's a, uh, you know, I, 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 I think for, well, Megan, let's go over to you. Well, and that is something that they discuss in Dune a little bit where they say, 
you know, they talk about the prison planet and they talk about here where these people are working so hard to survive. They become these amazing soldiers that can take out all the Sadaqar and uh, really take care of themselves. And one of the things that was interesting, uh, one of our one of our listeners uh, contacted me on Discord uh, and then also put some information. He said he was going to put a little more information into into the Reddit chat talking about the similarity between what goes on in Dune and some of the religious symbolism or the historical symbolism about the the uh, Jewish people, the Hebrews, and their wandering through the wilderness and some of the struggles that they mm-hmm. went through. So, you know, when we when we talk about um, when we talk about the influence of an environment uh, of a of a uh, physical uh, meteorological driven environment forcing and shaping the survival and the success and the the hardiness of a group of people. I think that's a that's an easy mechanism to use, especially in science fiction, because you can create the most inhospitable worlds and then play with technology that allows them to to survive, but only barely, if you wish. And that certainly is is what Frank Herbert did with the Fremen. Mm-hmm. Um, we may get a chance. Uh, I know several of our several of our redditors have have called me to task on a couple of occasions for mentioning the Brian Herbert prequels for all of the Dune stuff. Um, in fact, I think one of them said, uh, one of them, one of them said, I can't believe I'm hearing Todd speak highly of the Brian Herbert prequels. And um, I, I'm, I'm remembering the event, but I'm forgetting intentionally all of the names that were associated. Uh, but I stood, <laughs> but I stood by my, I, I stand by my ground on that. It was a wonderful way of introducing, of showing how this might have evolved and of course, because it was Brian Herbert, who's Frank Herbert's son, probably the source material can be uh, at least referenced uh, that that this was probably some of what Brian Her- or Frank Herbert was intending to talk about as far as the development of the Fremen, why Dune became this place, and why Dune uh, has has evolved to make the toughest, most vicious, most aggressive, most uh, pragmatic fighters that the human race had ever seen mm-hmm. according to the way the book was written. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're, since we're talking about symbolism and we're talking about mythology a little bit, let's get to a Reddit question. Yay. Right off the bat. Well, a couple of them. We've, that was one, but uh, Abe Lincoln Froman. Yay. Hi. Oh, I, I like hey, Abe Lincoln Froman. We like Abe Lincoln Froman. He says, I feel like Herbert pulled a bit more from his symbolic grab bag of symbolism this time around. <laughs> Paul's blindness. <laughs> I like that. Symbolic grab bag. Yes. Wow. Of symbolism. Of symbolism. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a great uh, a great Dungeons and Dragons I'm, find artifact. Let me tell you, when we My go plus back five <laughs> symbolic grab bag of symbolism. We're I I'm I'm telling you right now, when we get back to the adventure that you guys are still stalled in, that's showing up. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here, here is his question. Uh, Paul's blindness and the decision to become the proverbial blind Fremen wandering in the desert feels like one part mythology or one part myth of the wandering Jew and one part the temptation of Christ. Do you guys agree? Am I missing the mark? What does this mean for the larger story? And what does it say about Paul as a character? So, uh, you know, I'm glad he, he's, he was the one that was uh, reaching out to me on, on Discord and started oh, okay. this kind of a conversation. So I'm glad that that was the one that you pulled because it saves us the trouble of having to come back to it later. Um, <laughs> what do you, I, I've been thinking about this now for almost two weeks. You guys are getting to it right now and fresh. What are your first thoughts? Do you think that this is really, th- this, is, this is really reaching too far? Do you think this is intentional connection between those things? Or do you think there's something else going on? Well, I think a lot of people pull from 
I don't want to say tropes, but ideas that they're familiar with or something that resonates with them. Um, I personally thought that that whole choice of him just to walk into the desert and disappear was really annoying and also very um, irresponsible considering he just became a father and he's still the emperor. Um, And at the same time, he, you know, he's gone blind and he no longer has the prescience apparently to be able to uh, be who he was, which is a hard thing to deal with. Um, and it was kind of his way. It was kind of his way of, of returning to his Fremen roots. I know he was a Fremen transplant. Sure. Technically. But at this point, he is Fremen. And the Fremen see him as, as the Messiah and as, you know, a leader. And all of the things over the past dozen years had had uh, basically soured, at least in some of the Fremen circles, his perception or the perception of him as that kind of divine Fremen Messiah. And so this was really his way of getting that back. And yeah, there, there was a returning lot of, back to that. There Fremen. was a lot of controversy among the Fremen leaders, whether or not he was still truly Fremen. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you could argue that he had to do it. Okay. You know, in order to preserve his legacy, in order to preserve the children's future. Okay. You know, cause they are going to be the leaders of the Fremen. And now it, it basically cements his divinity or his place among the Fremen for that generation. Okay. Well, and also By thinking sympathetically, that. like I said, he had just lost Cheney. He you know, has lost all of his sight, like not only his physical sight, but his omniscient his sight. Thank you. Um, and it, it really does get to a place where I don't have anything else to offer. I don't have anything else to give. So I am going to take myself out of the equation. So nobody else has to take care of me and I don't have to watch everybody else stop respecting me. And uh, it's his way. And I, I think all of us have kind of, I'm going to go a little bit level three, but all of us have gotten to that point where, you know, we've lost a job or we've lost somebody that mattered to us or, you know, just something, some huge trauma has happened. And you just, I, I don't know what else to do here. I need to take a break. I'm just going to hole up in this room and listen to, I don't know, Alanis Morissette for three weeks. <laughs> and, <laughs> Sinead and, uh, O'Connor. Right? Just uh, something. Um, and and deal with it in my own way. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I personally can relate to that kind of thing. Sure. I um, know you can. And, you know, I would hope that I would never go to a suicidal place the way Paul did. But uh, he... I. I like it's it's kind of understandable that he'd want to he's like well i don't have a whole lot of choices this is a choice i can make so i'm going to take control in this way okay alex what about you what about you what do you think uh i i think it's a bit it's a bit of a philosophical message it's it's clearing the way for his kids um Mm -hmm. his sister Aaliyah, like she never had a childhood she never had a time to grow up she was she was jessica she was uh from the moment of her birth Mm -hmm. from before then even and I think that it, it's not something that's glossed over in the books, but it's something that like as readers, we gloss over because yeah. it doesn't affect our story play. Mm-hmm. But the spice makes you functionally immortal. And like it extends life all throughout the galaxy. And like this, this is one of the attempts of the book to say that like, even though you can live forever, uh, what does that do to the preceding generation? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think it was... As Megan said, like, yeah, Paul felt like he had nothing left to give, but people were going to want to take whatever they could make out of him sure. if he'd stayed around. And so this was his gift. It was all that he felt he could give to his children was sure. to step back and disappear. 
One of the things that, um, that I, like I say, I've been thinking about this for two weeks. Um, and there are, uh, when it, when it comes to, when it comes to the specific symbolism that, that, uh, Abe Lincoln Froman is, is mentioning the idea of the Jews wandering in the wilderness, the, the, uh, the religious idea of the temptations of Christ. Yeah, I can, I can see those as connections, but I see those more as connections that we make because of, because of perhaps our backgrounds that we might have for those things. I'm not necessarily sure that Frank Herbert is drawing direct, uh, direct correlation or direct parallels to those uh, and trying to insert those into his, into his text, although they certainly, they certainly can appear to, to follow. And there are some other ones too. Uh, you know, I mean, let's, let's talk about the fact that the Jews relied upon a pillar of fire to guide them by day and Paul is blinded by a pillar of fire that takes away his sight and that requires him to have to live on a faith-based prescience that lets him know that everything that he's going to follow has already been laid out before him so mm-hmm. that he just has to have faith in that process. Yeah, I can see those things, but I think I see those. I think I recognize those because I've got that heritage. I've got that background. I, th- I, I think that all of you are hitting on something that, that I think is more what Frank Herbert was trying to say is that as individuals, when we find ourselves in situations where, and, and let's be honest, uh, I, I don't think any of us in this room are going to be responsible for founding a galaxy-spanning empire, oh, let I alone a not. world-spanning empire, right? That's too With much all responsibility. Res- except perhaps well, Craig, not- <laughs> the god emperor in the corner. He's playing video games right now. But he just turned around. And he's evaluating all of us as we speak. Was, this is what he does all the time. Now you know. That yeah. was so pressing. It's, it's his way of making sure that we play nice in the sandbox. Um <laughs> <laughs> the sandbox. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I said that. Um, but I think that... <laughs> I hate uh, sand. It's so coarse. I think that... It gets uh, everywhere. Thanks, Anakin. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that when, when we're looking at the message that he's trying to send, it's uh, I think it's more about the weight of the ownership of the, of the direction of the universe mm-hmm. that can only be supported for so long by one individual alone. When Paul leaves... He leaves his children in the care of others. He leaves his empire in the care of others, but he leaves it in the care of a group, not of an individual. Yeah. And so he's, and and recognizing that it will probably, here's the other thing. In the first book, Frank Herbert gives us this idea that Paul sees the jihad. He sees the path that the universe must follow, but he never tells us what it is. And so in all of that, Paul is trying to keep it on the one path that allows humanity to survive. Hmm. So all we know at this point is that Paul has made a choice. This is the only way that he sees that humanity as a galaxy-spanning race can survive. To that extent, this choice of his at the end of his, at the end of his blindness, at the end of his ability to be useful in spite of his prescience— um, to walk off into the into the sand and to to be fremen or whatever it is that you're going to say um, is is as much a, a another uh, and yes we could pull in the the religious symbolism of a sacrifice of one for the benefit of all we can pull in those pieces but I think all of us face those kinds of choices in varying degrees um, fathers make choices all the time to forego different kinds of activities that they might like to do because. Their families require them to do other kinds of things along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, mothers do the same. Children, in many ways, do the same. We all find ourselves making trade-offs, making sacrifices, making choices that benefit the whole, 
when we are involved in those kinds of enmeshed relationships. Mm -hmm. Some individuals are perhaps in a situation they don't need to make those choices. They get a choice. They get the chance to make all choices for themselves. But when you have an individual who is responsible for the lives of others, then you make trade-offs. And in this case, Paul makes an enormous trade-off, his own life, for the benefit of the entire human race. In that way, is it sim is, does, it, does it match the symbolism that is involved in lots of religious pieces? Absolutely does it match it. Um, do I think it's intended that way? Uh, I'm not really sure, but I certainly can acknowledge the fact that my background, my experience, makes that very clear. Mm -hmm. Here's one from Julian Prately, whose flair still stabs me in the heart every time I read it. What does it say? Shut up, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is classic flair, but still. Um, uh, this is along the same lines. Todd has the correct interpretation of Paul's relationship with the Thank jihad. You. Yeah. Paul has seen that the only way for <laughs> humanity to progress is jihad. He takes control. <laughs> Todd just came back now. I'm Megan, so just, sorry, Megan just did a nasty little snipe <laughs> remark. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. I love you just as you are. I know you do. All right. <laughs> Paul has seen that the only way for humanity to progress is jihad. He takes control of it, knowing that he will commit horrors, but his direction will lead to the best outcome. I can't remember if it is even addressed in the book or if it's left entirely to the reader, but it raises the enormous question of to what extent we should go to preserve humanity. Where I am, were I in Paul's position, I don't think I could condone such atrocities. Even in the name of our entire species, I don't think humanity dying out is always the worst option. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Per uh, personally, it, it, it it raises the uh, the line from Guardians of the Galaxy. Why would you want to save the galaxy? What has the galaxy ever done for you? Because I'm one of the idiots who lives in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I've uh, to me, humanity dying out, you know, sounds kind of horrible. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> well, and 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 let's be clear: the jihad that uh, and that and the survival of the human race that that Paul is looking at is a connectivity of the human race. It, it's not necessarily that humans will die, um, although lots of human beings will die more quickly than they would otherwise because the the geriatric spice goes away. Mm -hmm. Now the 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 death that he's talking about, the death of the of the civilization is the civilization death. Um that that there will no longer be able to be all of these vast separated uh pockets of humanity across the entire galaxy will no longer be connected. Right now, the way that things are, the spice provides the longevity that is necessary for guild nav and the, and the in uh, the the insight the prescience that is necessary for guild navigators to make sure that all of those vastly spread out pockets of humanity can be immediately connected. You do not need. I'm I'm watching a really interesting documentary called Mars right now, and they're talking about how difficult it's going to be to set up a colony on Mars because help resupply all of these kinds of things are months, if not a year or more away. So if anything goes wrong, you are yep. on your own, mm -hmm. right? In in Paul's empire, all of the support would be a blink away. You just got to yep. get it on the highliner and the guild gets it there the next day. It's mm -hmm. not it's not the same. And so this kind of connectedness that that makes the universe the or the galactic empire that Paul is dealing with there, that's what he's trying to protect. Not humanity as a species, but civilization. Right. And I think that yeah. changes the stakes. It's not about people. It's not even about people living and dying and having wonderful lives and marrying and 
and having children and telling stories and all of those kinds of things. It's not even about the technology that they enjoy still being available to them in all of the different formats that it might be existing. It's about the idea that civilization as we know it would crumble. And, is, and, and you know, when you go back to it, is that a bad thing? I'm not so sure, but I'll tell you what. I would love to see some books that explore that angle. That's an argument I can mm. take up. Sorry, Megan. Oh, that's that, that's yeah, an argument that be. I like. I like. Oh, well, I know. Go ahead, Megan. No, finish. You can finish your thought. Well, I, the the idea that maybe society crumbling and starting anew, maybe that's not always such a bad thing. But yeah, that means you'd be uncomfortable for a while. Can you learn to live with being uncomfortable? Well, it just it reminds me of something that we didn't actually get to talk about it when uh, we did the podcast about the Hogfather. But Ken and I had a conversation afterwards where he talked about, you know, um, what happens if Santa Claus or the Hogfather is really gone? The sun doesn't rise in the morning or like uh, something like that. And Todd asked me, you know, do you think that that is actually literally true? And I said, well, no, I don't. I think like the sun would have come up, but I think it wouldn't have had the significance. And a lot of people, if if they don't have something like, you know, something like the Hogfather or Santa Claus or um, just we have these things that kind of help us to create our world and create our lives and give us some joy. If that's taken away, then we don't really have a lot to live for. And it just takes away a lot of our humanity. And here we have Paul and he, he realizes that like this jihad is horrible and he just recoils from it every time he thinks about it. Um, and we have this, uh, okay. I can't remember who the Reddit person was. Um, Abe Lincoln Froman. Okay. Thank you. Hi, Abe Lincoln <laughs> Froman. Um, you know, writing this comment, you know, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Oh, that was Julian Praley. That was, yeah. I, I knew that was wrong. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, yep, lost my train of thought. Because that's how I roll. Derailed. <laughs> Derailed. Alex, um, what do you think? Well, yeah. Sorry. While well, she's, well, she's trying to find the train again. I, I, I mean, I, I, I partly agree with Julian's point because like this culture that, is, that has grown up, this whole civilization has, has limited itself in some respects. Like the Butlerian Jihad uh, did away with all thinking machines from the from the galaxy, and that that is a civilizational choice for sure. But it's not uh, one that allows you to grow in technology mm-hmm. and in certain so, types of technology. So yeah. So would it would it take a collapse of the whole interstellar transit network in order to allow people to choose a different path? That's an, and I think mm. I think history is replete with with situations, even even our real history versus our imagined history that we're dealing with in Dune is replete with times where, uh, where in order for something new to come in, something that exists must be destroyed, it must be eliminated, and in that way, emperors, leaders, rulers, um, and sometimes society itself functions in that way to say we no longer want this we want this and we'll let it come in but in this case paul is making the choice for all of humanity well and he's making that that was the point that i was going to come to he is making a choice that most people wouldn't be able to because of their moral compass because of what they know because of who they are um but paul like he knows he has this prescience he knows what the end is going to be and he knows that as hideous as this jihad is it's the best way to get to humanity where they need to be. And so, and nobody else can make that choice. Our yeah. Reddit person doesn't want to make that choice. I don't want to make that choice. Yep. Paul is able to do it. And he, he doesn't mind that that is how he's going to be remembered. Isn't it interesting, though, that we still don't know what that future is supposed to look like? Mm-hmm. But Paul does. 
yeah. and he still isn't telling anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also really interesting what what have been the acts of that civilizational culture that have forced Paul into this position? Because he says, he said, I want this civilization to survive and I'm going to pick the one possible way and I'm just going to let that guide me. He's not necessarily making these decisions like, oh, I have to kill this person to do that or I have to make this decision to do that. He says, I want to go to the, in this direction. I want to save civilization. What am I going to be forced to do? Yeah. And so what does that say about all of the rest of the people in the civilization mm -hmm. that are forcing him to do these things, that are reacting in ways that are causing him to take these unreasonable or extremely violent steps. What do we think about his, now in, in some places in this book, um, he has addressed and, and uh, Frank Herbert addresses it in different ways. He has Jessica address it in a letter to Aaliyah. Mm -hmm. um, he has the Gola talk about it a couple of times and he has Paul talk about it a couple of times. What do we make of Paul allowing this, uh, priesthood, this uh, religious peace to grow around him. He's never discouraged it. He's never encouraged it, but he's given them free reign to make him into a God, an individual who drives, controls, creates, whatever. We use whatever, whatever superlatives and synonyms you'd like to use for Godhood. He has allowed this to happen. What do we make of that? <laughs> I think a little bit it's the difference between reputation and character where like character is who you think you are and reputation is who everybody else thinks you are, where he knows who he is and like, he's just going to let the other people think what they're going to think. He's just going to keep doing his thing. Okay. In one of the epigraphs, he draws, uh, he, he's being quoted by his uh, princess consort and says basically that uh, there's no difference between men and gods. One blends casually into the other. Um, and I, I think that that's how he sees it. And yes, he allows people to bill him as a God because that's what people do. That's like an inherent part of humanity. I and mean, he can't stop that, but he wants them to understand that gods are just constructs of people in a way and that he is essentially human as well. Okay. Ken? Ken's holding off. Yeah. I'm reserving judgment. So let me ask this, <laughs> let me ask this question then. Um, and and this is a question that I have that I have grappled with at different uh, at different points in my life. It's certainly one that I grapple with a little bit in this book, and it will be one that I will grapple with as we move into the next half of this of this preparatory series. Because really, the 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 four books that Frank Herbert wrote are 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 a series. They could stand by there by themselves, but they have become a preparatory series for lots of more expansion on this world. Oh, how much? Do the people around Paul allow their moral compass to be abdicated in favor of what they think Paul wants as broadcast by this priesthood that is building him up as a god? Hmm. Have you thought about that? Is that something that you guys have dealt with or dug into or even even risen to the level of your attention as you're going through this? Okay, Alex, you're nodding your head. Yes. Is this something you thought about? I know this is just something I have to deal with constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Sure, God. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it's uh, sometimes people will do something for you that they think you want, mm -hmm. and and it's a sign that they're like really trying to do something for you. They're they're trying to be there for you, but sometimes the thing they're doing is exactly the opposite of what you actually want. Sure, and so you, it, it's it's hard to. Uh, you can tell someone honestly. Yeah, because like, they're so well-meaning. That this thing you just did 
uh, is exactly what I didn't want to happen, but I understand why you did it. And thank you so much for this yeah. gift. I really wanted blue instead of black. <laughs> you suck. Yep. yep. Thank you so much for this chocolate cake, but I'm on a diet. So yeah. Or thank you so much for my wife would say thank you much so much for the chocolate cake, but I can't have wheat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thank you so much for this whitewater kayak, but my doctor tells me I've had my last concussion. And yeah, can't, yeah. Can't do that shorts anymore. And we, we, when we put it in these kinds of things, it's kind of like, oh, that's sweet, but it's kind of sad. Okay, yep. but but we're talking about gifts. We're not talking about yeah. sterilization of worlds. Yeah. How much of this does Paul order? How much of this does Paul allow? And how much of it do other people say, I'm sure it's what Modib would want? Well, Paul doesn't, I mean, on a smaller scale, he doesn't have a hard time saying no to things he really feels strongly should not happen. No, Irulan cannot have a child. You know, he just, he, uh, he's, he's, I think when it's, when it's important or when his prescience has told him this is not the way it's supposed to be, he's, he's pretty quick to put the kibosh on it. Um, and the rest of it, he just lets happen. So would it be fair? In to, his name. Would it be fair to say, Megan, that what you're saying is, um, for, for moments that, that are pivotal, all of which will be around him and his personal actions, he'll intervene, mm -hmm. but any actions that are inconsequential, he's going to turn a blind eye and let human beings be human beings and they can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. And he, he may be taking the fall for it, but he knows like that's, that is, that is their choice and he's going to let them make that choice. Ken? It uh, leads me to a, another Reddit comment that I read earlier um, from, I hate all your code. That's <laughs> Reddit names are the best. <laughs> but, the moral of the Dune Messiah is that prescience is the worst superpower. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yep. I just think that every time, every time I get into these deep philosophical things of what Paul does versus what I would have done, I just think I wouldn't even... I wouldn't even hazard hazard a guess, I mean, or hazard a thought to it. And that's what I think. Presence is the worst superpower. <laughs> because uh, what does he, I mean, what does he see? What is he seeing that leads him to this decision? And is this decision actually the best decision? Or is this the decision that takes us over here? And that, you well, know, steers yeah. us just a little bit this way and that way. And, and letting people make decisions in his name versus deciding to not um, allow them you know, to make those decisions, which ones it's well, and he gets to the end there and he finds, he finds that Cheney has died. She had a baby, but she had two babies and he didn't see that. And all of a sudden I, I could see him going into this whole crisis of conscience yeah. of, Oh my gosh, I didn't see that. Like that is kind of a littleish thing that I didn't see. Like everything else that I think that I thought I saw was that real. Should I not have let those 61 million people die? Like it's just, uh, which, which is one of my criticisms of the series, mm -hmm. honestly, is because in the beginning of this book, it's very clear that he understands the limits of his prescience, that that there are at least uh, limits to the prescience. And even even the princess consort realizes and they they have a conversation about it. Like, I can't see a guild steersman in my prescience. Obviously, there's a limit there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But then he doesn't understand until the very end of the book that he might not be able to see something. Sure. So that that's my criticism of the book. All I and, hear it's, is... and it's still not clear in this book, at least, 
like <laughs> how severe his limitations in effect were in the greater scheme of things. All, all I could hear was Gollum saying, my prescience. Oh, oh, that's so that's so that's bad. All I, that's all I, can, I can't believe you did Stay that. Stay here forever. My goodness. So so let me let me let me shift gears on the press on the idea of prescience for just a moment, if I may, because I think we've got enough time to to kind of dig into this. Um and and, and I I I hesitate to I hesitate to play this card, but but I want to play it for the for the purpose of illustrating this idea that prescience is a is the the most difficult thing to deal with um and ken i'm going to talk to you about this uh -oh. primarily because i know that you have children yeah you have teenagers mm -hmm. have you ever been in a situation where you knew exactly how something was going to unfold with your teenager regardless of what you were going to say to them all the time is that not a form <laughs> of prescience <laughs> it, it's a form of experience i guess i guess experience could lead to a form of prescience. Okay. And and this is one of those places where, wow, I just made Ken think. Um, so, he did it so well, too. It doesn't, it doesn't happen very often, let's be honest. <laughs> but 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 this is this is a piece that, uh, because right now I'm going through a, a, a similar kind of a situation with my daughter. Uh, we've got a we've got a certain set of, of things going on. I promise I will not cry. You can cry. <laughs> Probably will. Um, Alex is like, oh, this make, is what it's always like. He's make always promises crying. you can keep, yeah, man. Yeah, Come on. That, yeah, I, better, I better be careful. Me uh, saying I'm going to cry actually means that I won't end up crying because <laughs> I've acknowledged it and now it has no power. Continue, Todd. Yeah, it's going to happen. Um, Teenagers so are great for prescience, though. We're, <laughs> we're, we're going through a deal, and, I, and I've, as I've been talking to my daughter, I've been looking at her, and I've been saying, okay, I know you're looking at this situation, and you feel it comes out in a particular way. But that's because you're looking at it with 14 years of experience. And I'm looking at this with 50 years of experience. And the difference in the level of experience is dramatic. I think one of the things that Frank Herbert is, does, and he does beautifully with this, is, is he puts Paul in a situation where Paul has a level of experience that no one around him has. And because of that level of experience, I wonder if I, I wonder if he isn't feeling sometimes the same way that I feel with my daughter, because I'm watching her go through some things that are just brutally difficult for her. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, they don't have to be painful. If you'll make this mm -hmm. choice, it's not a problem anymore. And she looks at me and she says, but how can you say to make that choice when it will be painful here? And I, and I find myself saying, because I know what the end result of both of those sets of pain is and one you'll want and one you won't care about. So trust me when I say do this, as I look at that, as I look at that kind of a piece, when I, when I take all of these issues, yeah, when we put them on a galaxy spanning piece, uh, because, because one of the questions that she's, that she's talking about is, but if I make certain choices, dad, certain people may have their feelings hurt. They may be, they may be left in a place where they don't have some support that they would need. And my response to her is, that's not your problem. Mm -hmm. Your problem is this, 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 and this. Luckily, my children don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, or she would be really, really mad at me right now. She would feel like I was betraying a trust. You're but not I'm saying not anything. Not saying You're not, anything. Yeah, I'm not saying, saying names. Up anything, so. um, and I'm not saying nothing. I'm not saying anything that she hasn't heard. Um, just this morning. Um, but but that's now you're saying something. Yeah, <laughs> that but, should get cut. But now, but now <laughs> she still she she knows, but nobody else does. Um, but but Paul is looking at it in a very similar way. If, if society, if civilization is his child, 
And he knows that certain things are going to have to happen that are not necessarily positive for everyone involved, but will be better for his child, mm -hmm. for civilization. He's willing. He's he's, he's going to give that advice. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to give it every single time as well. So when it comes to Paul being the, the bastard of the universe that allows for the sterilization of worlds and all these kinds of things. Yes. I, and going back to my earlier question, I think there are a lot of things that he says, you know what, as long as it doesn't, as long as the, the activities that you're engaged in are on the periphery and they never get close to interfering with this, you can do whatever the hell you want. Mm -hmm. Your conscience is your, uh, Henry V, Henry V said, uh, the, the burden is the king's, but each man's conscience is his own. Yep. Um, it's a wonderful moment and it's a painful moment and it's a place where all of all of us at some point have to be in a when we are agents of organizations or of others have to recognize I may be responsible for doing certain types of for taking certain types of actions, but the way that I take those actions is mine. I have to own it. I have to accept it mm -hmm. and I have to accept all the consequences that come of it as well. And I think one of the statements that he's, okay, me personally, I think one of the statements that he's making about this is that anytime you abdicate your personal responsibility for your actions, you have violated everything that is in the social contract. contract. Mm -hmm. And we see that at the very end of the book when he says the following people should be killed because they have violated the social conscience that are the social contract. They have violated their conscience. They have done things in my name that they never should, would have done in their own names. So they are, they no longer have the right to lead in these, in this empire or in my priesthood. That's, that's like why we have the concept of war crimes. Yes. Yes. And Paul's not guilty of any of them. How does that work? Well, he acknowledges his guilt. Yeah. He acknowledges his guilt. But he also acknowledges it from a standpoint of saying, I'm, I may not have stopped it, but you're the ones who did it. I'll pay my price. And he says very clearly that he will. And he does. He exacts it upon himself. He walks into the desert to let the desert, to let Shai Hulud have vengeance upon him. So Fascinating is, stuff. Is he really gone? So Ken, any other questions from Reddit? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did am I? Am I, is this thing on? I'm okay. sorry, Megan. I can see your lips moving, but I can't hear anything you're saying. Sounds like my whole life. <laughs> that, was, oh, that was one of my questions in my my framework of a recap. But I, you don't see I the body. I never really did, yeah, right? No, no yeah. body, no death. I'm just saying. But well, I guess read and find out, right? Read and find out. So wait until Children of Dune. <laughs> that's next. That's next. No. For Oh. This is this is a question that came up a couple of times and I thought about it earlier. Is it just me or did they hype up the worm writing and the worms in general in Dune and then not have a lot of worm action in Dune Messiah? Where are them worms at? It's that not was, just you. That was poor payoff for such an awesome buildup. Mm -hmm. And that's what I said. Okay, Ken. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I said. <laughs> I mean, if you if you have to... Okay. There's, not, there's not much more to that other than the the observation that you want more was, worms, please. Yeah, there was a serious lack of, of <laughs> sandworms and worm writing in this book, and that's disappointing. Uh, it, it, duh. So. I mean, Arrakis is no longer at war. Yes. So, where are the worm races? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I there mean, Arrakis be. is still a really big place. They have to get from A to B. Yeah, How are they getting there? Where's the mass worm transit? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes 
Yeah, we're extracting the spice from them. Why don't we turn them into some pretty, some fantastic yeah. devices too? I got to stop when it fourth How did it get to the stage at the end? I mean, how I got to hop on the M worm and then transfer to the blue line and. Uh. So Iraq is bull riding. Yeah. I'm I'm not even gonna eight I'm seconds. not even gonna uh, eight seconds on a worm. Great, yeah. We're gonna let him out of shoot number three. He's on the back. That's what she said. He's on. He's on the back and twisting with scales, baby. See, that's what do you what think I'm... his chances are? Well, he's not let anybody ride more than three seconds so far. We... <laughs> Just see this. I think you're all on board with what I'm saying. There could have been a lot more done with the worms here. <laughs> okay. Obviously, you don't understand the purpose of sarcasm because I'm telling you right now, no, no, I'm no. not even entered. That, there that there is, wasn't enough punching in this book. I, I was going to ask Ken. Okay. Ken, were you satisfied with the amount of punching? No. <laughs> That's all right. There was no there worms, was, no punching. There, there was too much prescience and too much stuff that hurt too my much brain. prescience not enough punching yeah Maybe that, i mean that's the title of this episode and they brought back the best sword fighter in an improved form and right they, they should have had a better fight scene and made yet him, what yeah. did they make him they made him a freaking philosopher made, yep. him, made him a steel inquisitor a, and didn't do anything with it of I mean, the zen, zen sunni zen sunni yeah. by the way by the way i don't i will i will say this right now the idea of zen sunni I don't know how I'm sure that I'm sure that 90% of our listeners caught this a whole lot better than I did. I didn't catch it when I was 18, but Zen philosophy and Sunni philosophy are not necessarily cohabitable. They don't oh. necessarily get along really well. I think you but, can meld Zen to anything. Well, <laughs> I, I, I get it, but, but the Zen takes over the Sunni. And I, one of the things that, and this is one of the things that, that that for me took until I got into the prequels to figure out what the frick was this Zen Sunni <laughs> what, what in that I was and when Paul makes a comment Paul makes a comment that he's destroyed what 60 religions mm -hmm. 40, 40 religions I think 40 religions um so apparently the religion of Muad'Dib which is a Zen Sunni based religion um, it took me until I read the, until I started getting into the prequels to figure out what all of this was that was going on. So those of you that were really much, much smarter than me and you caught that, congratulations, because it took me 30 years to figure out that these two things were two different groups melded together and that it becomes this total pacifist <laughs> ideal. <laughs> Holy crap. And you make the greatest swordsman in the world, the greatest pacifist. I, I was speechless. Psychic poison was oh, his job, right? Oh my gosh. That okay. <laughs> I guess yeah. he worked on someone. Okay, I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest. If we were to pull any kind of a trope out of this thing that that we said this is the stupidest thing on the planet. The psychic poisoning that the Penetlilaxu had put into place by making Duncan Idaho into their Gola hate that was gonna cause Muad'Dib to blah I'm like, okay. Uh, you know what? This is why complex plans never work because they can always be derailed by somebody smarter than you or with more prescience than you. Um, and that's and that's kind of one of these deals that I, I if there was something that I took away from the book, it's that you make your plans too complex. They're probably going to get derailed by somebody mm -hmm. much, much smarter than you. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much universal, though. And the more the more aspects you put into a working plan, the more pieces that there are that have to go just right, the less likely that you know you have success. And that's. Especially because they tried to use basically like dime a dozen prescience of a guild navigator, which there are like dozens, if not hundreds of them. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 
against the singular greatest oracular vision in existence. That can see <laughs> everywhere else. Yep. Yes, I can't see these tiny little blips, but neither can any of you. But I yep. can see so much more. You guys can see from here to there, but you can't see from this time to this time. And I can. So fooey on all of you. <laughs> um, I, 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 every time, every time I hear plans within plans within plans or a faint within a faint within a faint. I used mm -hmm. to use that, by the way, when I was fencing, I, I read Dune first and then I, and then I picked up fencing as a uh, temporary career and I had a pretty decent co uh, collegiate career in that for a little while. Um, but, but I, I related to the idea of a faint within a faint within a faint, because there were a number of times that I did that to people and they just hated it. And it was so much fun, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, as soon as you tried to get four faints, if it was a faint within a faint within a faint within a faint, yeah, you were going to get killed. That's just all there was to it. You got three, you got two, you can make that work. Three, maybe four. No, you're done. You're done. So <laughs> have you, the, the have you seen Patrick actually. Stewart do the uh, quadruple take? No. Oh, well, you, everyone knows the double take. Yes. And then there's a triple take. And then he. He goes on to demonstrate the extremely rare, rare uh, quadruple take. I'm going to have to look this one up. Oh, it's fantastic. Does this, is this in line with Ian McKellen talking about acting? Yeah, it's talking about <laughs> acting. Okay, yep. okay, we're going to be good. This is going to be something that I'm going to have to reference. And now all of our listeners have stopped the, the podcast to look at that. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, Stop. Maybe we'll we'll put the entire yeah. podcast. Ian maybe McKellen we'll on extras. The, uh, look it up. It's look, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I we'll guess put I, those in the, in the Reddit notes. I guess we also derailed our own podcast with that. I apologize. But, but, it, but it takes someone of Patrick Stewart's caliber to make it work. <laughs> Oh, challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. um, any other questions, about, Ken? Well, speaking, well, since we're talking about action still, Lurktastic. Oh, I like that. Reddit <laughs> names are great. Yes. Lurktastic, how freaking cool was it when Paul used his son's vision to kill Sightail? Mm -hmm. I'm utterly confused as to how exactly that worked. Just a prescient thing, but I liked it. I loved it, he says. Um, I I think it was a prescient thing, but it was it was it his own? Still, or was he blind? He was... He was completely blind. blind by then, so it was his son's, wasn't it? It was his son allowing him to see through his eyes. Yeah. So are Paul's kids similar to Aaliyah, where they yeah. have like all this knowledge that they shouldn't have? So That's I think, what, well, is this like is this the genetic concern that the Bene Gesserit had with him having a child with Cheney, where they're like, We don't know what's that that child's gonna be like because we don't know her genetic history. So what what we're going to find is we and, and maybe this is enough of a tease as we move forward. We are going to find out that Paul's children um, are unique um, and you and not just in that every human being is unique. You know, me and my one million <laughs> counterparts in a world of seven billion or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, is it a thousand people are just every like person you? is special, which means no one is. Yeah, right. we can we can deal with that later. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not just that they're that they are unique in that in those aspects. It is that they are unique in aspects that revolve around spice and prescience mm -hmm. and the genetic crafting that the Bene Gesserit have been doing for decades and for hundreds of centuries. And so the the piece that they were trying to do, and in fact, if you go back and you look again in Dune Messiah, you'll find that Paul is talking about the Bene Gesserit the same way that he talks about himself, that the Bene Gesserit have been about human civilization. Mm -hmm. They have not been about they have not been about kingdoms or, or, or particular orders or particular dynasties. That's not what they're after. They're after the best results for civilization, for humankind. And in that way, Paul and the Bene Gesserit function along parallel paths. The difference is who is the who is the one that is controlling the choice of the path? And Paul 
at, at the at the point when Paul comes into the scene, he completely wrests control from the Bene Gesserit and mm-hmm. says, your direction for humanity is done. I control it now and it will go in this direction, which may or may not have been the exact same de- direction that the Bene Gesserit had planned, just a different timing. And he makes mention of that, that the Bene Gesserit were playing the long game, the game that required generations centuries to unfold Mm -hmm. and he's able to take over and because of prescience he can do it in a he can do things that they could never do in a single generation and that's what we're seeing with leto the third uh and what we will get an opportunity to see with leto the third we will see some things about his children that are completely unexpected um, from the Bene Gesserit's perspective Mm -hmm. and from paul's perspective Mm -hmm. that he would never have been able to guess that what is happening and that what happens actually does happen. Is that with his and son's name? And you've read these, is- so you know where I'm yeah. going with those. And they and and I'll tell you what: when on a, on a scale of one to four, with a one being, eh, okay, I read the book. Thank you very much for making me read the book. I read the book. And a four being, <laughs> oh, my life is so much better. Everything <laughs> in the world is better because of this book. Where would you put Dune Messiah? Be honest. Like be honest. Two and a half. Wow, you're really nice. Yeah. Two. I, I gave it like a one point three when I was I gonna first say read it. two might be generous. I can't I can't yeah. give it a one. Yeah, no. I Yeah. I mean the more we talk about it, the more I appreciate it. The second which time Which is probably through, why I throw the half in there. The second time through, I'm enjoying it much more. But mm-hmm. it's because I've been all the way to the end. I'm coming back now and I have a different level of appreciation for Frank Herbert's writing. Mm-hmm. At the end, coming coming back to it the second time than I did the first time through. I think that's one of the things, and, and we've not talked an awful lot about Frank Herbert as a writer. I also can't separate it from its uh, place in history. It's very different. And and this is one of the pieces that I think uh, uh, leads to some of the criticisms that some of our, some of us and some of our writers have said, you know, where's the, where's the worm writing? He references the fact that worms are being written. Mm-hmm. But he lets you have that imagined vision in your own head of what that would be like. He gives just a couple of pages of tidbits about what has to be thought about when you're riding a giant worm. And that's it. Use your imagination to figure the rest out. It doesn't apply to my story. It's Mm -hmm. not central to my story. And there's a bit character who complains that I don't even ride worms anymore. Yes. There's like a bit from it. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But but if we had, if, if this were being written today... Uh, by by certain other authors that we all adore, mm-hmm. we would probably have some great cinematic sequences that talk about just specifically that what what challenges were going on with one of those rides because there's yeah. a huge ride that takes place to get Cheney someplace else and we don't hear anything about that. I'm sure that we'd get an opportunity to have a great cinematic re- review of that if it were being written today. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> now this is worm racing. <laughs> <laughs> If I can find Anakin, I will. He keeps popping up in this room. I'm gonna shoot him. Gonna Pod shoot him. are wizards. Oh man, get these, I'm get the these only alien human who can do it. Get these alien children out of this studio now, oh, including Anakin. What I, awesome. I know, but I, I see your point because I remember we were talking about this um, during the first Dune book, where writers nowadays write things very cinematically um, because. A lot of these things are being made into movies now, and so yeah. you might as well get your vision. And uh, I was thinking back about like the Lord of the Rings, where they're they're about two hours, if especially if you're looking at the extended version of uh, 
the two towers where I mean the Hell's Deep, Helm's Deep, Helm's Deep. is a uh, is you know it's two hour sequence, <laughs> and you read the book and it's like a chapter, and you know because it's it's not necessarily about the battle it's about what's going on around it and uh yeah i, I think that's yeah. one of the interesting like there isn't a whole lot of punching in this book because you don't really need it in that way but if they made a movie out of it <laughs> and they, oh, oh they yeah. haven't right <laughs> no right no although um <laughs> as far as i understand david lynch tried to but it was okay. just there such was a, a miniseries so it's so just the, such a tragic you're tra- just grinning you set me up for that you <laughs> Jodorowsky <laughs> yeah well Jodorowsky we're not talking about Jodorowsky I'm, I've, I've made a decision we're not talking about Jodorowsky oh that was one of the questions too. I, I think what we need to do though I think what we need to do is we need to do a riff tracks around the Jodor- uh, around what happened to Jodorowsky's Dune because that probably would be appropriate no there was actually a sci-fi miniseries done yeah. called Children of Dune that attempted to take the, the, the both Dune Messiah and Children of Dune and combine them into one, which (gasps) from the standpoint of watchable TV was probably a very intelligent choice from the standpoint of communicating the entire vision of Frank Herbert's writing was probably pretty abysmal. Um, Although I can't or abysmal. Um, But I, I, you know, I I don't know that I'm qualified to say that, but that was kind of my feeling. Um, I will say this about this idea of, of Frank Herbert in his time. He did things with, and, and and it relates a little bit to what Robert Heinlein did with Starship Troopers. They they spent less time trying to wow us with the visuals and more time making us think about the principles and the purposes of the people who were in those moments. And, and set against a science fiction backdrop allowed them to do it in using tools that were and using uh, references that were much more familiar. Whereas if you were doing these same kinds of things in a fantasy realm, you kind of have to build the world around it first to construct those kinds of, uh, and to make sure that people knew who the players were so that you knew who the good guys and the bad guys, who were the, who were the ones that were putting pressure, who were the ones that not, um, who were the scrolls and who were the Cree? Oh, sorry. That was a different, that was a different conversation. Um, but, and if you, if you didn't get a chance to hear that one, that's a different story. Um, but, but I think that's one of the things and it, and it certainly is, plays a very heavy role and where Frank Herbert was at the time, it was the late 70s, uh, mid, mid to late 70s when Dune Messiah was coming out. Um, lots of interesting things going on geopolitically here in the, on the planet Earth. Um, and a lot of those things informed some of the choices and decisions that he made about the writing that he was doing. But again, I look at I, I, uh, my experience here on the podcast with different writers. Uh, Brandon Sanderson impressed me from the, from the very beginning with his artistry. Frank Herbert really made me work for it a little bit differently. And it took me getting all the way to the end and then coming back to better appreciate his artistry. I don't know which is better. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that one is better than the other, but I am saying that I appreciate both writers skill for doing what they did. Brandon Sanderson hooked me and, and I, I cannot, I, I cannot, um, I cannot express appropriately in words or concisely in words how his ideas and principles and characters have informed me in challenges in difficulties and in a place in a time in my life when I really needed it. I can't, I can't do it justice, but he did it right away. Frank Herbert has done the same things 
he has helped me have different kinds of appreciation for where I'm at, for what I'm dealing with and for what I have to deal with and the choices that I have to make. But it took me a little bit longer to really appreciate his artistry. So okay. with that said, I think, think and, if, and if that is something that helps inform you about why these next two books are worth going into, I, I will consider that moment of, of personal reflection to be very valuable. Yeah. Because I'm telling you right now, you do not want to skip out on the next two. Children of Dune and God Emperor of Dune. And especially, I'm telling you, Ken, there's more punching to come. That's what I keep hearing. Hooray. A lot more punching <laughs> to come. Um, you may have to weed through, wade through a little bit more politics, but and, and a lot Is more there philosophy. More teen a lot more philosophy. There's some more teen romance that's going to show up. <laughs> Is it um, angsty? Are they different teens? <laughs> Are they related? More teen romance to come up. <laughs> Alex is just laughing at me, trying to worm my way out of those. Oh yeah, I said Sand worm. Yeah, <laughs> I said worm. Um, but there's there's a lot more to come. There's a lot more to come, and uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun to, to to work with. But we have a palate cleanser. Uh, we're not going to be reading, uh, we're not going to be jumping into Children of Dune just yet. We're going to take a palate cleanser and take a little bit of a, of a detour, of a, oh. of, a, of a trip back to the world of Jim Butcher. We're going to be doing Summer Night, right? Summer Night. Summer Night. Sweet. So episode Sweet 223, uh, which is the next Blue Team episode, will be Summer Night. We'll get something nice and light. Uh, if you can call, mm. <laughs> I don't know if call I call you know, with all the vampires and werewolves. <laughs> it and feels like vampires and werewolves and lycanthropes. Oh, oh my. my! Yeah, there we go. We got to just get, say yeah, it won't make three. your brain hurt as much, uh, or maybe just differently, <laughs> yeah. just different parts of the brain. Uh, so we're gonna do that, and then we'll launch into the last two books of the Dune series. We'll get those finished off for uh, for early summer, uh, at least if you're listening to it with us here in 2019. Um, hopefully, this has been a, a good run, Alex. A wonderful time having you on the on the show with us. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody join us on the Discord. It's a fantastic place and you can talk all about your Sanderson books <laughs> and everything else. Oh, and there's currently a fight on whether you would fight uh, one duck si one uh, Craig-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized Craigs. I would face, I would on face duck one hundred duck-sized Craigs and I would get out of broom. And and I would take on one Craig-sized duck because I know quack foo. And anybody who knows, yeah, 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 yeah. If you know that reference, that you are the a duck. Oh. you are a geek uh. extraordinaire. <laughs> All right, Craig's I shaking his done. head, and Alex is just looking at me like that was the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Go Howard the duck. Uh, uh, you know what? So you bad. Yeah. Well, you know what? I was watching Howard the duck used to be cool. Okay. No. When he was a comic, he, he no. was cool. He was cool. No. I feel like this episode was really good until now. Whatever. So whatever. I hate stop. you all so much. Hey, there's one last question that we have to ask, and we have to ask this of you, our listeners. You know, we were we were mentioning it earlier. Uh, we we have our we have our fan ambassador for for the legendarian, but we we don't know what to call you guys. Are you legendariumites? Are you legendarians? Are you? Yeah. What, what are legendarium fans? What are legendarium fan? What do Legendary you call fans? yourselves? Legend, we're the Cause, legendaria because we would Legend like to, because inquiring minds want to know maybe yeah. just craigs i i'm curious too he's an inquiring mind <laughs> hey thanks everybody we'll see you next time